Alan Weiss, The Uncomfortable Truth. This episode is Dig We Must. Some of you might remember, in New York long ago, Consolidated Edison, affectionately known as Con Ed, did the utility work in, in Manhattan and the boroughs. And whenever they were underneath one of these manholes, I guess today it's a person hole, they'd have a little fence set up and they'd have the rest of their crew and there would be a sign that uh, stood on its own and it said, Dig We Must for a Greater New York. And so they were saying, pardon the inconvenience, but it's for your own good. Out in Las Vegas a week ago from recording this, I went to dig this. And dig this is an area out in the desert, about a half an hour outside the Strip, where they have heavy equipment which you can operate. And my wife bought it for me as a gift for Father's Day, or for my birthday, or for some occasion. And uh, you get an hour on your choice. I chose an excavator. An excavator is one of these big tracked monsters. You know, tracks like a tank, a body that swivels 360 degrees, a cab on top of the body, and next to the cab on top of the body is a huge arm, a huge claw with a bucket. And uh, I learned to use this thing in about 15 minutes with an instructor sitting outside. He sits in a little tower with earphones, and I have on earphones, and my wife had on earphones from the observation area. The cab is air-conditioned, and it's very modern, and you have two joysticks, one in each hand, which do a variety of different things. They raise and lower the bucket, and they turn the cab around, and they uh, swivel the arm, and so forth. And then you have two sticks in front of you, which turn this thing left and right, or go forward and backward. And in 15 minutes, I learned the rudiments, and for the next 45 minutes, I dug a hole, a trench, that took out about 3,500 pounds of earth. I built a pyramid of tires, and then I picked up three volleyballs off of cones, like traffic cones, using the teeth on this monstrous bucket and gently deposited them in tires. I did all of that, learning it and doing it, in an hour. It was about 100 degrees out there, and the chief instructor in the place uh, has a rescue dog. Great dog. He sort of walks over. His dog conserves his energy. You know, he's about 10 years old. Uh, pretty big, about two-thirds the size of Bentley here. Uh, and the dog comes over and sniffs, and the instructor says, well, he's in his attack mode. Uh, he cracks bad jokes. So he makes fun of things. But the instructor loves all this. I mean, he's out there doing it with his flak jacket and his heavy boots and his, his ear protectors and everything else. And, you know, uh, when I went scuba diving, it was a pain in the neck to check your gear and check your partner's gear. And the instructor had to marshal the group together and be alert to dangers and make sure everybody was checking their oxygen supply. But the instructors loved it. I took a group of my best clients to Tenerife not long ago. And some of us went on a tour. Now, Tenerife is in the Canary Islands and it's basically a volcano. You know, it's a volcanic island, one big volcano. And well, we, we went around the island, which took quite a bit of time, a couple hours to get about halfway around because they're small roads. And in the side of this volcano on the other side was a little town. And in the little town was a little wine shop, literally, almost literally carved out of the rock. And the proprietor of the wine shop, who was expecting us on this little tour, gave us seven tastings of wine. He gave us meats, you know, prosciutto and salami and everything. He gave us bread and cheese as we tasted these seven different kinds of wines and, and port in the side of this volcanic rock. He never asked us to buy a thing. In fact, he told us he couldn't sell us anything. I don't know, the local laws or something. But he just took great delight 
in explaining his wines to us and seeing our enjoyment in drinking them. And I tell you all this because the key to a successful career comprises passion and skill. Somebody said to me not too long ago, I've got you figured out. And I said, well, that's, that's a refreshing statement. I love it. I'm finally figured out. What'd you figure out? And he said, you simply do things you love and you're great at and get paid for them. Now, there's a piece of rocket science, right? I said, you got me. I call this the Michelangelo factor. They asked Michelangelo, now this is probably apocryphal, you know, the story. There's a a phrase, uh, ben trovato, and ben trovato means that if the story isn't true, it should have been. You know, I love that phrase. And this story, if it isn't true, should have been. But Michelangelo found this discarded single piece of marble and decided he would use it to carve the David. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen the David. You've probably seen pictures of this great statue, but when I went to Ferenz and saw it in the academy for the first time, you're prepared for something great, but you turn a corner and it's breathtaking. You know, it's 25 feet tall or whatever it is on a pedestal and it's breathtaking, veins in the leg, a single piece of marble. And they said to him, how did you do that? And Michelangelo said, I carved away everything that didn't look like David. Now that's a somewhat great answer there because he culled away what he didn't need. He didn't add to it. If you constantly add to things, you're never satisfied. There's never enough. You have a pastiche. Uh, You have a montage, but you don't have something that is a cogent whole. And the same applies to our careers. If you want a a work of art as your career, as as the David is a work of art, you have to cull away things that you're not passionate about and are not great at doing. So we need to cull, not add on. David Thoreau said, talking, you know, hanging out in Walden, that most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And this is the opposite of what I'm talking about. We don't please ourselves. We're constantly desperate because we sacrifice things. Now, this dig guy out there with the excavator equipment is doing this every day. He's telling the same lame jokes. He's patiently teaching people. And he is never waving, never slackening in his passion. He told me, as a matter of fact, I said, you know, I can drive a stick shift, so this is somewhat easier for me. He said he's he's taught a group of Japanese executives who came over who never even drove, never had licenses because they live in Tokyo. They don't choose to drive. They have chauffeurs, and they've never learned to drive. He taught this group to operate this equipment. In this condition, you know, you can face every day, every obstacle, every challenge, and not merely surmount them but succeed if it's passion and you have great skills. Are you getting up in the morning, my friends, enthused or depressed? Do you love what you do or do you merely tolerate it? Are you enthused even doing the same thing over again? If not, why are you doing it over and over again? You don't grow to love your work because you earn more money for doing it. Digging a ditch is digging a ditch. You grow to love your work because of the fulfillment it provides you, irrespective of the money. You get good at important things, you make a lot of money, but that's not really the point. If you choose to pursue a love of money, you'll never be happy. If you choose to pursue something you love doing and are great at, you'll make money. So you need top skills in order to, feel, to realize your great passion, and that's how they are harmonious and synergistic. Nurses, EMTs, firefighters, police, you know, first responders, reporters, teachers, and other people like them don't make that much money and don't have all that great a potential to do so. But most of them just love the work. Do you really want an EMT 
at two in the morning at the end of his shift having to administer some kind of drugs to you or do CPR who's exhausted and said, you know, I'm not crazy about this work. Been here, done that. Have the t-shirt. I've met highly paid doctors and business executives and consultants and financial advisors and money traders who are pretty miserable and unhappy. They thought the money would make them happy, but they're not passionate about their work. I'm sure you've met surly doctors, people who are condescending and rude. You don't have a constitutional right to be happy. You do have a God-given capability to be happy, and you can certainly exercise it within the Constitution. So here are your metrics. Number one, do I awake energized and excited about my career? Number two, do I handle setbacks and problems with resilience? Three, am I rarely ever bored? Four, do I have patience with customers and clients? Five, do I regularly innovate to try to improve things still further? Six, do I regularly think about my work or do I try to forget it at times I'm not actively engaged in it? And seven, if I had the chance and the resources, would I change careers tomorrow? Think about that. Dig we must. And if you want to really discover what we want to create and who we want to be, dig some more. That's the uncomfortable truth.